The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing in zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another NFL episode of the Action Network Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. With me are Sean Corner and Chris Rabon. Sean is the Action Network Director of Predictive Analytics. Chris is a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network, and they are two of the best fantasy football rankers in the business. Uh, Chris, it is an afternoon. Uh, sometimes you get a little bit chippy in the afternoon. How are you doing? Is it really that I'm chippy, or are you just wrong about Jay Sternberger and AJ Dillon? Why can't it be both? <laughs> this is what the people want to hear. They no, know we're going to tell them who to no, draft. They want to uh, hear us get at each other. And also joining us is good friend Matt Harmon, a football writer and analyst for Yahoo Sports and the creator of Reception Perception. Matt, thanks for joining us. How is it going? My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a little bummed out that, you know, like Chris has a great title. Uh, you've got a great title, Friedman. Uh, Sean probably has the best title of all three of you guys. I don't have a title. I know I, at one point when I got hired, they're like, what would you like your title to be? And I, I just, you know, it's like, I don't really care. So now I guess I'm just, uh, I'm dealing with that for the rest of my career. But uh, I, anyways, in a general point, besides the fact that I'm bummed out about the title thing, I'm happy to be here with you guys. Let's be honest. Titles, they don't really matter. No one that's, cares. At least that, that's <laughs> what I, I tell myself because I don't have a title as good as Sean's. But anyway, I'm just going to say title, titles don't matter. They're irrelevant. All right. It's, uh, it's good to have you back on the pod. We have uh, recently had Evan Silva, Ian Harditz, and Denny Carter on to talk about fantasy quarterbacks and tight ends. Great episodes. Check them out in this episode. We were talking with Matt about his approach to the wide receiver position in fantasy, and we we're getting his thoughts on the top wide receivers by average draft position. If you like what you hear, give us that five-star rating, leave a review. We would appreciate it, gentlemen. Let's get into it. Matt, I want to get your thoughts on how to approach the wide receiver position in fantasy for 2020. When are you uh, kind of looking to load up on wide receivers? I feel like the consensus this year has been that you want to hammer running backs early and that you want to draft out of that big meaty portion of wide receivers in the middle rounds that are very exciting. A lot of guys have breakout potential and typically I've been in on that. I don't know about you guys though. I always have, you know, this pit in my stomach if I don't leave the first three, four rounds with one guy that I could see having top five upside. And, and I think that it's, it's great to combine a core of players that are going to get a decent amount, amount of volume guys that can definitely hit that maybe low end wide receiver one in a, in a great situation, or, you know, at least can be solid wide receiver twos and kind of form that committee. But again, I still, even in early drafts have been unable to resist the temptation of several of these top 12 guys that we're going to be talking about today. All right. Well, you are the creator of reception perception. Can you talk a little bit about your route running, charting methodology, uh, the factors you focus on, and how your process has changed or uh, evolved since you started? 
Sure. So uh, reception perception is the, as you mentioned, route running methodology that I developed six years ago, uh, been, which is great now that we've got six years worth of data. We really know, I think, now what reception perception tells us and what it doesn't tell us. You know, there are statements that I made about results three, four years ago that I would definitely not make now, which, again, that's just the beauty of sample size. We all love that when we're looking at data. But what reception perception is really trying to do is to isolate the wide receiver from all of the outside variables because you know you guys know this everyone listening knows this in order for a wide receiver to accrue production so much has to go right you know not only does the quarterback have to throw them an accurate pass they've got to decide to target them in the first place the play call's got to even just if it's a rollout you know and the, the other guys on the left side of the field the play rolls right they're probably taken out of that equation or at least the odds that they're going to get the pass just completely goes downhill so all those other factors go into wide receiver stat accruing, but I think the one thing that the wide receiver can control is getting open, defeating man coverage, getting open versus zone, getting off the line of scrimmage versus press. So that's really what reception perception is all about, trying to decide who's the best at defeating all those different type of coverages. And I'm the psycho that gets to go in and over an eight-game sample, chart every single route that they run in order to find out who the best route runners are. Where do these guys succeed on the field? Again, trying to isolate them so much from the outside variables. And I think the thing, the process really hasn't changed all that much, which I think is the, is the beauty of it is that it's been consistent and been the same for six years. So we can compare Odell Beckham's 2014 season to his 2019 season through reception perception. And we're no, we know we're mostly looking for the same things. But I think what has evolved is not only just how wide the sample size is now and how much, you know, how much better the data is now than it was in 2014, 2015, I think it's also just one thing I would say is that I've become almost more radical about my approach to the position and deciding like who is good and who is not. I, I know this is like it, and I don't mean this to like, I'm the only one with the answers. I'm the only one with the skeleton key. Cause that's definitely not the case. I just think that so much of what goes into production has so much other noise into it that I've almost become, like I said, more radical about it. the only way to find out how good these guys is, is to isolate them in their own environment. And that's very hard to do. I wouldn't recommend that anybody else does it. Okay, Mr. Wide Receiver Whisperer, uh, since you are the, the guy with the skeleton key, I, I want your opinion. Uh, since you have not just hours, not just days, I would say weeks and months of uh, actually yep. grinding tape and looking at these guys in depth. The wide receivers outside of the top 12, those are the guys we we're talking about in our next episode. Out of those guys, who is your favorite? Yeah, I was almost kind of bummed uh, that you invited me on for the top 12 episode because I think there's so many exciting players outside the top 12 to talk about, especially the group from the, that came in as rookies last year, the 2019 wide receiver class. I feel like I've said this on every podcast so far that I've been on. That is such an exciting group, I think, not just for this year, but for many seasons to come. But my favorite of those guys and my answer to this question is definitely Terry McLaurin from Washington. I don't want to leave a draft without you know taking him in at whatever cost it takes because I think he has superstar ability when you look at him in reception perception he's top 35 in both success rate versus man and press coverage all time that's going back the last six years like I mentioned so he's a route running savant I think he gets open at all levels of the field and you also look at his ability to win spectacular catches his contested catch rate is incredible he does remind me I think he probably has the second best rookie season in reception perception after Odell Beckham's 2014, which we know was so explosive. Haskins is probably going to be just passable enough 
in, in this coming season where he can feed McLaurin a ton of volume and end up getting him to a really high fantasy finish. So he's my, definitely my favorite guy outside of the top 12. If it's not McLaurin, who's the one wide receiver you've gotten the most of in fantasy drafts this year? I think it depends when we're talking like middle or late. Late rounds, I keep finding myself drafting Anthony Miller from the Chicago Bears. I'm worried that the shoulder situation is not is not a great long-term thing, but I think he's set up so well to be a, a 1B, you know, a number two guy with Allen Robinson. And the rest of that pass catcher core in Chicago is just, it's terrible. We're, we're talking about Jimmy Graham. We're talking about Jay Sternberger, the guy that the Packers didn't want to bring back was Jimmy Graham because he's dust. They paid him a bunch of money. Their wide receiver three position might be Ted Ginn. I mean, give me a break. I think that Anthony Miller's in a really good position to potentially push for 100 targets, and you can get him way, way, way late in drafts, especially when it comes to like August and seasonal league, stuff like that. People will definitely be off of him. I'm cheating here and giving you two. Uh, I think the guy in the middle rounds that I keep coming back to is Marquise Brown from the Ravens, another guy that I think has the ability to win at all levels of the field. Paired with the MVP in the, uh, this, this past year, I don't think there's really any holes in his profile, except he's not going to have a great target ceiling. We know that because of the offense that he plays in. But I think he, he's so he's at an affordable price right now. He's so cheap that I think he's a, he's a great bet there. All right, who's the one wide receiver you are most looking to fade? And maybe that's one of the guys that we're actually going to talk about coming up in a little bit. Uh, and so that's totally fine. But who are you looking to stay absolutely away from this year? Yeah, I'm going to cheat again and give you two answers. I'm actually going to really give you four answers because it's two wide receiver cores that I'm avoiding this year. Uh, one of them we are going to talk about. I've really not found myself drafting the Bucks very often this year because – their inflated price, a lot of questions about the offense, which hey, I hate to say that because I'm a longtime Chris Godwin guy going back to his days at Penn State. It, I, I hate to not draft him this year, but I will just continue to look back at the good memories from last year. And also there for Mike Evans too, probably not taking him. And I really haven't found myself drafting the Rams guys either. I know Woods is a popular guy in the industry. I, I think Woods is a very solid player. I just have so many questions about where are guys going to be deployed in this offense? Is this even a good offense? I think Woods is at a decent price, but again, there's just always somebody I like better when it comes time for his ADP range that I haven't found myself taking. All right, let's, uh, we're definitely going to talk about uh, Godwin and Evans later. Uh, two interesting guys. Let's talk first about Michael Thomas, who is really uh, in a tier unto himself, normally going off the board in drafts anywhere from pick number five to, to pick number seven, just kind of depending on, on how heavy people want to go at the top with the running backs. But I, clearly, the first wide receiver off the board, I really don't think uh, a, a strong case uh, or at least a compelling case can be made for a, another wide receiver as the the number one guy who should be going uh, at the position uh, has led the league with 125 on 149 receptions over the past two years. Matt, when you are looking at Thomas through the lens of reception perception, what do you see? Yeah, I hate that there's like a weird argument on Twitter about is Michael Thomas actually good? Cause I think he has been an elite number one dominant receiver. I think like he's not just a stat compiler. He's not just a target compiler. He's getting all of these targets because he's not only so good, he's so much better than pretty much everybody else in that offense. And I think reception perception would show you that this is an elite receiver. He ha owns the number one success rate versus man coverage score over the last six years from his 2018 season. He was right back up there again last year. He wins at all levels of the field, elite at getting off the line of scrimmage versus press. I don't think that there's any really holes in his game. 
I will say though, I, he's not, he's not my top ranked receiver uh, this year, but we will talk a little bit more about that when we get to the guy who is, and maybe I'll try to make a compelling case since you said there's no compelling case, but nevertheless, love Thomas. Uh, I don't think that if you take Thomas number one, you're making any sort of mistake or it's going to, you're going to lose your fantasy league because you took Thomas ahead of the other guy that I have ranked there. But again, I think that there is no valid argument to be made from an on-field, on-film perspective that he's anything other than a true elite number one X receiver. Okay, so I will say, and this will undermine what I said earlier, I do have in the rankings, I would have Thomas number one. I actually have another guy projected with a median projection higher than Thomas, but that doesn't mean that I would actually draft him because I, I, I think he actually has maybe a little more downside risk relative to Thomas. Uh, and, and so that's the way I'm able to sort of split the baby there. And maybe the guy that I have projected number one is the guy that you actually have ranked number one. But Sean, I want to kick it to you and get your thoughts on Thomas. Uh, over the past four years, he has negative nine rushing yards. So clearly that's the one, uh, the one negative about him. <laughs> but uh, what, do you, what do you think of uh, about Thomas? Is he locked in for you as the number one guy? Yeah, he, he's locked in as the number one guy for me. I think just really the question with him is um, where do you take him overall? Um, and I would say, you know, taking him fifth overall um, makes sense. And especially if we're talking full PPR, I don't really think there's an argument that he's number one. Um, you know, Ted Ginn and Traquan Smith, they're very low targets per route run kind of guys. I think Emmanuel Sanders coming in um, is going to chip away a little bit at uh, MT's, you know, massive target share, but not enough to really <laughs> lower his projections uh, below anybody in my model. Um, so I haven't projected around 116 um, receptions this year, which I think is fair. And I think it's worth pointing out. Uh, I always love pointing this out, by the way, w without his starting quarterback last year in weeks three through seven, he was still the wide receiver one um, with Teddy Bridgewater. So um, I think that's an important thing to always distinguish about these receivers is if they can still be elite, um, without their starting QB and you know MT is certainly in that category so I think he's very safe I I'm curious to hear who uh, Matt has ranked over um, I, I doubt I'm going to disagree with it too much if, 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 you if you want to take somebody ahead of him um, so be it but MT will definitely be um, if I'm going to take a wide receiver he will be the top guy just be because of his consistency and just you know he's he's a lock for you know over 110 receptions in my opinion so that's that's why I would I'd be willing to take him fifth overall. Raybon, on the serious show, uh, you know, we've talked some about drafting strategies. And on the show, you've mentioned the idea that if you don't go with Christian McCaffrey, number one, Michael Thomas is the guy that, you know, for just strategic reasons in terms of how you want to build your roster, you go with Michael Thomas, uh, that he's actually in the running uh, for the number one pick. And, you know, if not number one, maybe you take him as high as number two. Where are you on Michael Thomas uh, since we've had that conversation? Do you think there's actually a case to be made for taking him number one overall? I don't really, to be honest with you, because I think Christian McCaffrey is just so far ahead of everyone else in fantasy. I mean, he outscored everyone by 100 points in most formats last year. But to your point, for strategic reasons, if you're fading McCaffrey, if you're fading a running back position for some odd reason at number one overall, like don't take another running back instead of McCaffrey. Like that's just okay. absurd. So that means that you're essentially betting on the fact that running backs get injured more than wide receivers, um, you know, in, in that, and, and you're going contrarian. Then you have to take Michael Thomas because he's the only guy that, in my opinion, uh, could get close. And 
and I think he is in a tier uh, above the other wide receivers. So, I, yeah, I'm curious to hear you guys' uh, takes on, on who should be number one. But you look at Michael Thomas, his rookie year, uh, 92 catches for over 1,100 yards, and, and then he's never looked back from there. You know, that, that was his low in terms of his career. He's had nine touchdowns in three of his four seasons. I mean, he's on a fast track to the Hall of Fame. And to Sean's point, if his quarterback goes down, not only has he proven he can produce as a backup, but guess who his backup is going to be this year? Jameis. <laughs> yeah. The guy that propelled not just Mike Evans and Chris Godwin to top five seasons, you know, per game while they were healthy, but Brashad Perriman into relevance yet again. For after Perriman caught like 11 passes for the first, you know, three quarters of the season. So uh, there's really no holes for me in, in Michael Thomas's, uh, you know, profile. And I think that after McCaffrey's off the board, if you're in a full PPR league, again, if you want to be a little bit contrarian, you know, running backs do get hurt a little bit more. Uh, and, you know, Michael Thomas is a guy that caught 150 balls last, 149 balls last year. Um, I think you can make the case for him number two. Um, uh, and I wouldn't argue with you. All right, let's uh, talk about this tier of wide receivers after Michael Thomas. And uh, Matt, I'm sure one of these guys has to be the one that you were thinking of as the number one wide receiver. Uh, normally, we're seeing Devontae Adams as the uh, second wide receiver off the board. Uh, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. He was number two last year if you count the playoffs in 2.61 yards per route. Uh, number one with 40 receiving touchdowns over the past four years. Uh, of course, Tyreek Hill uh, is in the running there. Uh, he's normally the third guy off the board. He has an outrageously high 10.6 yards per target over the past three years. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is someone not to be ignored. Uh, first team all-pro wide receiver in each of the past three seasons. Of course, there are questions about his situation. New quarterback, uh, new team now with the Cardinals. Julio Jones, he's the guy that I actually have projected uh, number one. 102.8 yards per game since 2013. That is just uh, almost unfathomable. Uh, he has 99.1 yards per game since 2018, and that's actually more than what Michael Thomas has done over that stretch. Uh, Michael Thomas has 97.8 yards per game over the past two seasons. So even though Thomas has led the league in each of the past two years in receptions, Julio over that time actually has more yards per game. Uh, Matt. Which one of these guys is your number one? Yeah, we don't have to wait long for me. It is Devontae Adams this year. And I'm actually running it back from last year when he was my wide receiver one ranked going into the year. So, you know, maybe a little bit of take luck, but I don't think so because I think Adams, number one, I think you have to have a unique confluence of events to have the season that Michael Thomas had last year. And I don't think that anybody's – like you said, Sean, no one's going to project him for 140-plus catches this year, but – I think for something like that to come together for a wide receiver, it has to be very unique. Adams has that sort of situation this year. Number one, I think he's a good enough player. Like I think he is as talented of a route runner, as a talented as a separator, as anybody in the league. I, whenever I think about Devontae Adams, I always come back to this reception perception note. In 2014, Adams finished with a 47% success rate versus man coverage. That was at the second percentile. You fast forward – to 2018 and 2019, he's up at the 99th and the 96th percentile. I mean, that is from the literal bottom all the way to the top. There's no wide receiver that I've ever seen in the six years of doing this to make any sort of dramatic jump like that. Usually a dramatic jump for a wide receiver is like maybe 10%. 
uh, of a jump from, you know, their rookie year to maybe their second or third year. So unprecedented jump to being one of the, in my opinion, elite wide receivers in the NFL. There's obviously a bit of decline from the quarterback position in Green Bay, but I think Rodgers is still good enough to absolutely pummel Adams with volume considering, you know, we're talking about Jay Sternberger, Alan Lazard, you know, Devin Funches has opted out. It's just mostly a bunch of goofballs behind Adams at that wide receiver depth chart. I think he could easily lead the league in targets. He's a proven touchdown scorer. I think he has everything that you want in the profile of the number one receiver in fantasy. And it starts with just how good he is, but also everything else I think will come together from a volume perspective. Sean, you, and Rayvon both have Tyree Kill number two ahead of Devontae Adams. What do you see out of Hill that makes you bump him up just a little bit ahead of Adams? Well, uh, for me, it's kind of dependent on scoring system. So standard and half PPR, I have Hill um, number two. I think once you introduce full PPR, I would actually have Devontae Adams number two. So that's an element that differentiates these guys. But with Tyree Kill, I think it's, it's more investing in this Chiefs offense um, we've talked about it before, but the ceiling for this offense this year is, you know, breaking NFL records. So anytime in a situation where there's a Chiefs player up for grabs, I usually defer to the Chiefs player. Um, and last year, you know, we, we only saw Hill and Mahomes play nine games together. Um, and it's important, again, to point out that Tyreek is not just a byproduct of Patrick Mahomes. Um, he was the wide, rec- wide receiver six when Matt Moore filled in for two games. Those things, I think, are important to, to point out. But um, – you know, with both of them combined, it's, you know, the, the ceiling is still uh, probably unseen yet. So uh, I think going to this year, it's just a way to always invest in the Chiefs whenever possible um, with Hill. And Adams, you know, I agree with Matt. You know, Adams is guaranteed a massive target share. Uh, I mean, uh, we, we joke about Jay Sternberger, but that's kind of the point, right? Where else are these targets going to go? So, and especially with Aaron Rodgers, I, I'm assuming he's going to be playing Matt all year. I think it was Raybon that even said, you know, he's just going to force the ball to Adams even more. So that I, I can get behind that narrative as well. So again, I, I think all three of these guys are essentially in the same tier. I'll, I could talk about it later, but I have Hopkins a tier below this. But you really can't go wrong with any of these three. And just real quick about Julio Jones, um, you know, he's entering his age 31 season. I, I fully expect him to have a monster season. Um, I, I think maybe next year is where we start to really see the, the decline especially with a guy of his size, you know, age 32, age 33 is typically when wide receivers like him really start to drop off. So I I am expecting him to continue, uh, you know, the massive production we're used to, but uh, there there is a chance that even starting this year, he could uh, start to slip just a little bit. So um, that's why I'm more interested in investing in guys like Calvin Ridley and Hayden Hurst, who kind of benefit from Julio Jones present to begin with. Um, but, you, you know, I, I'm typically gravitating towards uh, Devontae Adams or Tyreek Hill in this tier. Raybon, you have Julio Jones, number three, and then Devontae, number four. Can you talk a little bit about Julio? Yeah, I think Julio is a guy, as you mentioned, the yardage is always going to be there. Uh, I do think that we're going to start to see a steady bit of decline, but a decline for Julio is so minuscule at this point. I mean, last year was the first time in six years that he didn't get 1,400 yards, and he got 1,394. He was six yards short uh, of that. He, he's not missing games, and he's going to see a massive target share. But we did, to see, we did see his target shares drop off a little bit last year compared to years past. Um, you know, per, maybe that was just because Atlanta threw so much. They threw 51 passes more than any other team in the league that um, it's just natural for the ball to be spread around a little bit more. But 
Um, nevertheless, I like Julio over Adams because I think when you look at both of them, Julio, he has a track record. I mean, 1,400 yards or just short of it for the last six years. Devontae has one 1,000-yard season in his entire career. Um, you know, so uh, just from that perspective, I think, you know, the targets uh, in terms of the floor and ceiling, very similar. The, pa- the track record of production is uh, in favor of Julio. Uh, I think the talent levels um, are, are at this point pretty similar, but, uh, and Julio is a little older, but you also have an offense that I expect to be a lot more pass-heavy. I think Adams has the shakiest quarterback situation of, of these receivers that we're talking about when you consider that um, Aaron Rodgers is starting to d- decline noticeably, and there's a guy behind him that, who knows, could get on the field. I, I doubt that he will, but Jordan Love could get on the field. We don't know how that's going to impact Adam. So um, for me, it's just that, you know, Julio is a much, uh, I think, uh, more efficient guy at the end of the day. When you look at Adams, he's, he's still going to put up like league average type of uh, yard per catch numbers. He was at 12.0 last year, 12.1 uh, for his career. The same for yard per target. Um, he's writing at 7.6 to 8.2 range over the last three years. Uh, and the average receiver gets about 8.0. Whereas Julio Jones is, you know, he's going to get you 14, 15 yards a catch. He's going to average closer to nine yards a target. Um, so for me, that, that's just what it comes down to. And then Hill, I'm with Sean. I just think Hill's floor is not significantly lower um, than these two players. And his ceiling is uh, potentially higher just because of Mahomes and because of uh, the, big play opportun- the big play possibilities and the fact that um, he could put up, you know, 40, 50-point weeks, you know, four or five times this season and maybe he'll have a couple games where he goes you know four catches for 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 43 yards or something but that can happen even to these guys so um the floor is not significantly lower for me to take a shot on uh this big play guy who's you know proven he's going to get you know at least seven targets from the best quarterback in the league Raymond did I hear you say that uh Devontae Adams has only one 1,000 yard receiving season he has one 1,000-yard one, 1, receiving season. <laughs> that's, that's irrelevant. I'm, I'm canceling your internet. He, okay, yes, that is true. He has only one 1,000-yard receiving season in his career. However, over the past four years, he has an average of over 1,000 yards per year. Add the 10 touchdowns per year in there. And he has two seasons of 997 yards receiving. Like, that's basically 1,000 yards receiving. <laughs> Yeah, but no, no, that's to my point. That's exactly to my point, though. It's that Devontae Adams has two seasons with 997. Last year, yeah, he, was, he missed four games. Uh, but the thing is, and then he had another 885-yard season. That's my whole point. He's not a high yard per reception guy. So even though he's a high uh, target guy, and unquestionably the target floor is right there, I think, with Michael Thomas, uh, with Julio Jones, with all those guys, um, he needs – more volume than than like a guy like Tyree Kill or a guy like Julio uh, to reach his ceiling. So that's that's the reason I have him fourth. That's not a it's not really a disrespect to Adams. Like we're we're nitpicking here, and I think Adams. Um, I agree with Matt. I think he got so much better in terms of um, you know his route running and the fact that he can get open when he's the only guy that defenses have to worry about uh, in Green Bay uh, is a testament to him. But at the end of the day. When you're a guy that's averaging, you know, 12, 12 and a half yards per catch, uh, you know, it's going to take a, a lot of catches. And I think Michael Thomas, he's that same kind of guy just because Drew Brees is not really um, going down the field. But Michael Thomas has a higher uh, or has had a higher target floor and ceiling uh, these last couple of years. So uh, and then Julio is kind of in the same neighborhood, but he's averaging more 
yards per target. He's averaging more yards per catch. And so that's why I want Julio. And then, and then Tyreek, as I mentioned, he's, he's, he's not quite there with the targets, but his ceiling uh, with the efficiency is through the roof. So um, that's, that's just kind of my reasoning. Matt, I want to kick it to you and get your thoughts on DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, earlier in the show, I asked you, uh, who's the one wide receiver you are most looking to fade? And for me, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily looking to fade DeAndre Hopkins, but I realize that I've gotten zero shares of him. Some of it is you know, uncertainty with the, the new situation that he's going into. Uh, sometimes wide receivers don't necessarily mesh well with a, a new quarterback and he's in a new city, new coach. But just based on my projections, uh, even though I think of myself as being relatively bullish on uh, the Arizona Cardinals offense, I'm just not getting uh, a, lot of, a, a lot of production going to DeAndre Hopkins this year. Not as if it's a bad year by any means, yeah. but I just I don't have him in my, my top five, uh, and, and most people do. Uh, and so that just means I, I'm not getting any of him. How do you think he's going to do this year in Arizona? Yeah, I share a lot of the same sentiments that uh, that you do. Uh, number one, I just I mean, it's always it's always fun to revisit why the hell he's in Arizona to begin with when he probably <laughs> they, the Houston Texans never should have traded him to begin with. Uh, he had his best season last year in reception perception, you know, 94th percentile in success rate versus man coverage. One of the select few wide receivers to go quote, full green, which is uh, when they have an above-average score on the entire route tree. When I post the graphic on Twitter, you see the, the full green route tree there. So, I mean, he's coming off an incredible season. So, there's literally no knocks, I think, to make on the player. Uh, but I, I think the situation does come with plenty of question marks. You know, you mentioned that, you know, it's a new quarterback. But the thing that I, I do find most problematic is just projecting volume his way because there's still a lot of players – that the ball needs to go to in Arizona. I've been doing my projections the last week, and I've, I've got him at about 140 targets, which is nothing to, to, to sneeze at. It's nothing to, to get upset about, but it's not, it's not DeAndre Hopkins-level volume that we've seen in previous years. Uh, there, there's definitely – I think there's a path to have him having a very good season, but maybe not a top five fantasy season. Uh, I, I think, Sean, probably – you mentioned earlier you feel the same way. Um, the only thing that, that gives me a little bit of pause when it comes to the narrative of, you know, new quarterback, new receiver, I mean, not even just narrative, like the history of that being problematic for fantasy receivers on the move. One thing when I sat down with DeAndre Hopkins in January, I was asking him about why, you know, pre-pandemic feels like a thousand years ago now. Uh, but I remember sitting down with him and asking, like, you've been so productive with so many quarterbacks throughout your career, you know, a bunch of I didn't say this, but, you know, a bunch of clowns back there behind center. What's gone into that constant preparation? And, and he, his point was, I just make that guy, you know, like my best friend. I never stop bothering him and because usually I don't have an offseason with these, these guys. You know, Deshaun Watson, he said, is the only guy that he's had an established offseason with where he can find that rhythm, find that groove over the months and months that, that usually go into an NFL offseason. So if there's any wide receiver, I think, based on just having done this over and over again in his career that can adjust to not only a new quarterback, but a new quarterback that he's coming to without the benefit of a normal full offseason thanks to the pandemic, I think it could be Hopkins. But again, history would dictate that it's going to be problematic. And again, there's just so many more running backs that I want to pick in that range, other receivers that I find more appealing in that range that I'm with you. I have also not, not proactively faded him, but not found myself drafting Hopkins very often. All right, let's talk about this uh, tier of wide receivers after the guys we just talked about. And uh, Matt, this includes some of the guys you mentioned earlier in the show that 
you're looking to stay away from. We have Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, uh, you know, two obviously talented wide receivers who just tore it up last year for Tampa Bay. But there are reasons to be a little uncertain about what they will do this year. Uh, and then they are followed by Kenny Galladay and Amari Cooper. Uh, Matt, make the case for Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, why you're looking to, to fade them. Uh, I should just say, uh, Raybon and I uh, did the, the serious show this weekend, and we uh, had similar conclusions uh, to, to what you had uh, to say earlier uh, in, in staying away. And part of it you know, is maybe fewer touchdowns to go around in that offense, fewer targets to go around, new quarterback, Rob Gronkowski coming in, and maybe he steals some of the touchdowns. Where are you on these guys and uh, kind of pinpoint what it is that makes you a little bit pessimistic? Yeah, there's so many questions, I think, when it comes to the Bucks this year. Um, you know, Jameis Winston, his presence there just really, despite the fact I, I don't really particularly like watching Jameis Winston play quarterback, I think he would frustrate you know the hell out of me if he was the quarterback of my the team I was a fan of but I, he produces successful fantasy environments because of the way he plays because he can often throw a team into a hole early and then he can throw them out of it so I think he created a perfect situation for Evans for Godwin last year I think I just have a lot of questions about Tom Brady as an individual quarterback at this point. And, you know, I think in a perfect scenario, 43-year-old Brady would, you know, kind of crush it with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin because Godwin is, you know, a perfect fit as a player that can win at all levels but is very good on dig routes, on slant routes, uh, that can get off the line of scrimmage versus press but can also be a, a, a mismatch advantage in the slot. I think he would be a great fit with Brady. I think even Evans as – you know, a big contested catch receiver on the outside. You'd think that wouldn't be a fit with Brady, but at this point, Brady is his accuracy is falling apart to the point that I think Evans as a big target can be kind of an accuracy eraser. But the biggest question to me is just can they even protect Brady? Because this was already a problematic offensive line last year. You know, their left tackles maybe hinted at he might opt out this year. They drafted a rookie tackle this year, but I've generally thought that rookies are going to be have a slow learning curve anyways. So I just think this offensive environment is going to look so different than what these guys succeeded in last year. Both great players, but just so many questions on the docket here that I found myself, again, not really drafting either one of them, even if I'm still probably going to rank them highly because I think they project out well because there's, you know, just a pretty good target share here. Overall, just haven't found myself really, really drafting them and, and just really not even considering it. So it's, it's interesting, Matt, for me, it's a little bit of the opposite where I'm projecting them further down, projecting them as wide receiver twos, but I have them ranked a little bit higher because I do think that they have a pretty decently high floor. I mean, it's just, it is hard to know. There are so many questions. Uh, Sean, you have Evan's ranked number 11 one of the two players in NFL history with a thousand yards receiving in each of his first six seasons the other one is Randy Moss so I I look at Evans and I think of a guy who even in an inflated era of uh, aerial offense looks kind of like he's on a hall of fame trajectory I mean he, he has to keep playing to get there but I mean you couldn't really do much better than what he's done in his first six seasons uh, but you have him ranked as a low-end wide receiver one uh, what are you seeing yeah, I think you made some great points. He's definitely, I would say, on track to be a Hall of Famer. And, you know, I remember at times last year, we were having fun. Uh, like, is this normal to have two receivers from the same team ranked in the top three? <laughs> and, yeah, last year I think it was warranted. Uh, Matt made some great points um, just about, you know, uh, going to this, this Tom Brady-led offense, which I think can be a little more conservative. They're going to be, um, you know, they're, they're going to play with the lead more. 
Um, so that's kind of partly why I have them a little bit lower. Again, I want to emphasize that this is really the beginning of a massive tier for me. I mean, it really goes from wide receiver six all the way down to like wide receiver 17, where I have them very close to each other. While a guy like Chris Godwin, I think he's being drafted where he should go. I just think you're better off kind of just waiting and taking these guys that fall to you later in, uh, in the draft. So um, I haven't been getting as much Chris Godwin this year, which, you know, it, it was a lot more fun last year getting Chris Godwin as the wide receiver 20, getting him to lead the league in receiving yards at 100 to 1. So it's just not as fun when, you know, it's basically he's fair market price right now. So I don't see much value in it. But I do think he will be the guy that Brady uh, fixates on uh, right away. I think he'll fit into that Edelman role uh, pretty much perfectly. So I have no problem with people that take him uh, in the top six. Same thing with Kenny Galladay. Again, I mean, you were able to get him, I, I would say, right around the wide receiver two, wide receiver three range last year. And now you have to pay a pretty price on him. Uh, around wide receiver eight. And, you know, it, it is worth pointing out, he was still able to put up wide receiver 15 numbers with uh, Jeff Driscoll and David Blow, as I like to call him under Whoa. center last year. So he's, uh, he's, he's legit. Um, it, it is a bit concerning. I'm curious what Matt thinks. But, um, you know, he had the lowest um, yards per separation last year uh, among qualified receivers. So um, I, I don't know if that's going to make him a little bit more consistent than people realize. But I, I'm just getting less of him. Because I really think that, you know, targeting these guys that I think have massive upside, like Calvin Ridley, um, even A.J. Brown in a lot of drafts lately, uh, Marquise Brown, getting those guys later are kind of the Chris Godwins and Kenny Galladay's that we can get cheaper this year. So that's why I'm kind of um, fading these guys, just because they're, they're, the, the market has basically, um, you know, priced them uh, pretty much spot on right now. Matt, what are your thoughts on Kenny Galladay? Back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons last year led the league with 11 receiving touchdowns and also 36 deep ball targets. So there are questions about whether he can continue to play as efficiently as he has, but he's getting targeted in the end zone and getting targeted down the field. Those are high-value targets. What are your thoughts? Yeah, a couple of points. One, what you just said, like where he gets targeted on the field, deep down the field and in the end zone, in a lot of contested situations, I think that's what influences that low yards of separation per target uh, number because that number is very dictated by where you're targeted on the field, where you line up. Galladay is a true X receiver that lines up against top corners and plays on the outside. He's going to have that lower yards of separation number. But I think when you look at him in reception perception, this is, you know, I mentioned earlier, like guys who have a 10% jump in their success rate versus man coverage number, those are usually players that are taking those big jumps year after year. You know, they're not all like Devontae Adams, like I mentioned earlier. And Galladay is one of those guys. In 2017, his rookie season, he came in at 63.2% success rate versus man coverage. In his third year, 73.4%. He's gotten better each season. I think he is on his way to becoming, you know, that top-level receiver. So I I agree. I really like him as, as that guy that can not just win deep and in contested situations, but has started to become more of that full-field player. But I'm, I'm kind of with Sean. Again, when it, I loved drafting Galladay last year, loved drafting Godwin last year, but just run down the list of all of these players that can be that version of, the, of those guys last year, this year. And I've not really found myself drafting Galladay very often, even though I think he's fairly priced, he's properly ranked, he has access to probably a really good ceiling with Matthew Stafford back this year. There's a lot to like about his profile. There's just a lot of other receivers to like better that are going later. All right, well, one guy who's going in the same range is Amari Cooper. And, Raybon, I should say you uh, are the lowest on him 
in this range. You have him ranked number 12. The ADP that we're looking at has him at number nine, but I got to be honest, in a lot of the drafts I'm in, I'm not seeing Cooper go off the board as the the number nine, number 10 wide receiver. I'm seeing him fall a little bit down the board, uh, which, you know, kind of goes along, Raybon, with uh, the way you're, you're viewing him. A thousand yards, in four or five years. So that's a very good mark. And in his 25 regular season games with the Cowboys, 16.4 PPR points per game. And that includes a couple of games in which he was injured. So historically, Cooper isn't someone who's really disappointed in the aggregate, but he's been a very boomer bust producer. Uh, and I feel like that's maybe something that has factored into why people have wanted to stay away from him in their drafts. Uh, Raybon, what do you see when you look at Amari Cooper? Yeah, I think this is a receiver who is obviously highly talented. Quarterback situation is great, but I look at a guy in Amari Cooper who uh, on a per-game basis uh, was out-targeted by Michael Gallup last year. Those two produced at the same level. Gallup actually averaged more yardage than Cooper. And I know you mentioned that Cooper um, did kind of miss some uh, parts of games with injuries, which, which definitely factored in. But I think the big thing for me is – it, it is a situation where Gallup's a little closer than we might think. And, you know, Cooper is a guy who, let's, like, let's be honest, he had a really down season uh, a couple years ago, or at least a really down half season in Oakland that was almost inexplicable. He's always been a guy that struggled to, you know, struggled in the red zone, uh, struggled to, to catch touchdowns. Now, he did have eight last year. He made some big plays, and he's getting better with that in Dallas. But um, for me, it's just uh, a, a little lower on him maybe than the consensus just because of, of all those factors, um, you know, CD Lamb coming into the mix, I think there's a, a chance that, you know, just like Gallup emerged as, as kind of Cooper's equal almost in this offense that um, perhaps, you know, Lamb could kind of emerge as, you know, a little more equal to both of those guys um, than we think even with the, the offseason. I think talent's still going to win out uh, at the end of the day. So um, I like Cooper. I, I think that he is entering his prime. He's only, you know, he's going to be 26 this year. He's going to be his age 26 season. Uh, and, we're just nitpicking, but uh, yeah, there's just a couple of guys that, that, that I'd rather have than him that I think have higher target ceilings in that, you know, I think Cooper, he tends to get hurt in some way every year where it's like he's playing through it, but he has this down stretch. Um, so that factors in. And then, of course, just the, uh, the boomer bust nature of, of his game where um, if, you dra- if you had him for certain weeks last year, I mean, he finished as a, as a top 10, top 12 receiver in, in most formats, but you know, he had a game with three, one catch for three yards. He had another game with two targets and, and no catches. And then in the fantasy playoffs, which I know people probably remember and, and are, are pissed about, uh, you know, in week 15 against the Rams, uh, two targets, one catch, 19 yards. The next week against Philly, which everyone goes off against Philly. You can't not go off against Philly if you're a receiver. Uh, he had 12 targets. So you think monster game, right? Four catches, 24 yards. I just don't like the fact that we've seen in his range of outcomes that high, you know, he can get that many targets and catch four balls for 24 yards. So just a few red flags for Cooper that I see, but uh, you know, still, still a top, top 12 guy in my opinion. Sean on the, the serious show, Rayvon and I were talking about uh, Amari Cooper versus Michael Gallup. And I, I wanted to get a sense of the, the odds that um, Cooper is outperformed in fantasy by Gallup this year. So Sean set a line for us, Cooper versus Gallup, most fantasy points, and then, uh, Matt, I want to get your thoughts on uh, Sean's line and which side you would bet. Off the top of my head, I would set the line at uh, Cooper minus 150 and Michael Gallup plus 150. All right, Matt, where are you on that line? 
I'm taking the Gallup side because, like, I'm over here, like, doing the snaps for everything that Chris just said because he's an inconsistent producer, but that is reflective of who he is on film, who he is as a player. Like, it's not the situation around him. He's just always been that guy. And it, it like, this, this shouldn't annoy me, but it does annoy me because I guess I care about routes too much. But, like, I lose my mind every time somebody calls Amari Cooper one of the best route runners in the NFL because he pops up when, you know, the checkdown account or the NFL account, you know, shows, like, five great routes that he runs. No doubt has an awesome ceiling as a route runner, but it's very hit or miss. In reception perception, he's never scored above the 71st percentile in success rate versus man coverage. That's actually gone down throughout his career. He's finished below the 22nd percentile in success rate versus press in two of his last three seasons. And, you know, maybe it's injuries. Maybe there's something else. But I think it's just the reality of who he is. He came into the league as a very polished route runner out of Alabama, and I don't think he's gotten any better or significantly better I think many other players have passed him up as a pure route running technician and like I think the Cowboys do a great job of getting around that you know unlike the early Raiders coaching staff that would stick him out at x receiver and you know go tell him to win against press coverage and contested situations the thing that he was never good at Dallas has done a pretty good job of moving him into the slot sometimes they use him as the flanker and move him around at the line of scrimmage to get him away from difficult coverage. So overall they've, they've been smart that way, but that also just brings me to the point of Michael Gallup. That guy's out there actually playing X receiver, you know, the number one, typically the number one role where he's on the line of scrimmage, doesn't move. sees a lot of press coverage and he had a very underrated season to me last year. So I think I'm really not drafting any of these Cowboys guys in fantasy because I think they're all probably closer than the ADP would suggest when it comes to just how they could finish at the end of the year. Uh, there's also, you know, Blake Jarwin, there's Tony Pollard. There's obviously, they're still going to run the ball a decent amount too. I've just really not found myself drafting him in fantasy, but I think Michael Gallup is the one who's underrated. And I, that's why I would take that line that uh, Sean just said. All right. Uh, Rayvon, I think that's the side that you're on as well. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, listen, Per game yardage, especially is, you know, if you're looking among per game statistics for receivers and granted, you know, I'm using it and I'm sure we're all using, you know, routes and and all these things that go into the models a lot more, but just on a straight up predictive basis, per game yardage is uh, pretty predictive and Michael Gallup averaged more yards than Cooper. So, you know, right there, that's telling you that um, there's a very real chance that uh, Gallup could outscore him. Maybe he doesn't catch quite as many passes. His catch rate um, is generally in the high fifties and, and Cooper's is in the mid 60s, but that's also because, as, as Matt alluded to, um, Gallup is, you know, playing the, I think, the harder spot to play. He's getting yep. uh, more press coverage. So, um, with more growth from Dak, with another year in that, you know, another year in that system, um, and with perhaps even a more explosive number three receiver than, than last year with Randall Cobb, um, you know, there's, you know, Gallup, it's possible that Gallup is the guy that continues to take steps forward, whereas I think Cooper has kind of plateaued uh, as. A, a very good NFL receiver, but I don't know if I'd call him a great one. And Gallup is very is, is becoming very good. So I just think, yeah, I think it's a lot more even um, than people may think. And then the big thing is just it's fantasy. We're just looking for value, right? Cooper's going off the board as a top 10, top 12 guy, and Michael Gallup is not. He's usually going outside the top 20. So give me Gallup. Sean, I think it's a pretty good line. Uh, so I, I would stay away from it. If I had to take a side, I would probably lean a little bit more towards Cooper. Um, I think he's going to have a pretty big season. I think that offense in general is going to be pretty special. And uh, to Matt's point, uh, with Cooper moving all across the field, 
I think he's actually going to play quite a bit in the slot this year. Um, just, you know, based on Gallup being a, a perimeter only receiver, uh, CD lamb has done well in the slot, but that's not really his primary position either. Uh, Cooper is a little bit, uh, more malleable in the way that he can be used. And, and so I could see him actually getting quite a bit of, uh, of advantageous matchups in the slot uh, and being used that way. So I'm going to lean towards Cooper on that, but I think it's a pretty good line. Uh, let's get to the final three guys in the top 12. And I'm kind of dubbing this the question mark tier uh, because we have Adam Thielen at number 10, DJ Moore at number 11, and Allen Robinson at number 12. And Matt, out of these guys, I'd like to get your thoughts on the one you like the most and the one that you like the least. I actually really like all of these guys, and I hate to see uh, the ranks for the other two uh, here for Allen Robinson because he's my favorite of this tier. You know, longtime Allen Robinson guy, reception perception's always been a big fan of Robinson. Last year, he finished with uh, the first, uh, the number one spot in terms of success rate versus man coverage. I think he had a truly elite number one receiver season last year while playing with Trubisky and everything else that was going on there. So I think there's really no questions about who he is as a player, despite the fact he's you know, had a little bit of hiccups here and there in his career that I think were brought on by bad quarterback play and obviously injury. Um, overall, I think he has a ceiling. I think he has a great ceiling this year. If it's, it's tough though, to count on Nick Foles, right? Because like Nick Foles might be the best quarterback in Allen Robinson's career, but I don't really think that much of Nick Foles to tell you the truth, especially outside of good ecosystems. We've seen, you know, Nick Foles in Philly during the Chip Kelly run early there. And then obviously during the Super Bowl run, good ecosystems, very good Nick Foles. Then we've seen him in Jacksonville. We've seen him with the St. Louis Rams, bad ecosystem, really bad Nick Foles. I think the Bears are probably somewhere in the middle because I'm high on Robinson. I'm high on Anthony Miller. I still think Matt Nagy's a decent play caller. I think they could be a solid ecosystem, but not to either one of the extremes. So, and this is all counting on, you know, Foles potentially beating out Trubisky, which I don't think is a guarantee. So I think Robinson certainly has some degree of volatility in his draft profile, in his fantasy outlook this year, but I do find myself enthralled enough by the ceiling to really take him. And like I said, I'm in on all of these guys. The, the guy I would say at this, at this price that I'm the least in on is probably DJ Moore, just because I think there's a lot to like about that Carolina Panthers offense. I actually think that he's in a great spot to produce, but I like Adam Thielen just a touch more from a target volume perspective. So don't like any of these guys, but I think if I was to say the one that I like the least is probably DJ Moore. Sean, I want your thoughts on Allen Robinson here. Uh, you know, the pro uh, side of this is obviously he was number three in the NFL last year with 154 targets, had a career high in receptions, another year removed from the ACL injury. And you have to think that Foles is probably an upgrade on uh, on Mitchell Trubisky. But obviously the con is that you think we're going to see, we have to see a regression in target volume. He might not click with Nick Foles and the offense might be really bad. Right. Yeah. I, I would agree with your assessment that Foles is, Probably <laughs> an upgrade. <laughs> like that's the perfect way to put it because who knows, right? But I, I think Matt made this point earlier that um, you know the the Bears wide receiver depth chart was decimated last year. Uh, Anthony Miller, who I do love getting in the later rounds, was in and out of the lineup. He he began the season with an ankle injury that didn't appear to really go away until after their bye week. I think it was week ten. So you know, Allen Robinson was mostly competing with Javon Wims, J.P. Holtz, and Jesper Horstead 
for targets because both tight ends went down uh, after week eight. So, you know, of course he was seeing massive target shares. So while we make fun of Jimmy Graham and, you know, Ted Ginn's hardly a elite receiver, I think they are going to be an upgrade in terms of just, you know, being able to steal a few targets from Allen Robinson every week. And again, Anthony Miller should be 100% going in the year. I love his upside. So that's kind of why I'm just a little bit down on Allen Robinson. Again, this is part of a massive tier where just the slightest change in a projection can move guys up or down five slots. So I'm just not getting him at his current ADP of 12. And in fact, most drafts I'm in, there's always somebody, especially in expert leagues, that consider him you know, a mid-range wide receiver one or low-end wide receiver one. So just... He doesn't really fit into it's my usually draft. me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he doesn't fit into my draft process of, um, you know, I, I want to get one of these, the, the last of the running backs I really want, like an Aaron Jones, Kenyon Drake, or even Clyde Edwards Flair, which probably can't happen anymore at that point in the draft, um, where, you know, I want to get those guys and not have to rely on taking uh, David Johnson or David Montgomery in the next round or two. And just focus on getting these wide receiver twos I love, like Calvin Ridley, uh, A.J. Brown types. So that's kind of, he doesn't fit in my draft plan because I, I don't really think he has the upside that some people do, just because I think there is going to be a little bit more competition for targets, and that, that's going to ding his value a little bit. Raybon, the guy in this tier that you are the lowest on is Adam Thielen. You have him at number 18. Obviously, the pro side of this. He's had over 1,200 yards, uh, an average of over 1,200 yards uh, in three seasons from 2016 to 2018. Was injured last year, but you know when he was healthy out there on the field, he was producing. Uh, and now he's no longer competing for targets with Stephon Diggs. Uh, the con is that he's turning 30, and he's still stuck in a slow run-first offense. So even though he should be getting the majority of the targets – uh, or not the majority, but even though he should be getting a lot of targets uh, in terms of market share, the overall market still might be relatively depressed. Uh, can you talk a little bit about Thielen? Yeah, and it's interesting because I like Thielen. I was drafting a lot of him, and then his ADP started to shoot up to where he was going, you know, 14, 15, 13, 14, 15, instead of where I was drafting, which was, you know, around 20th or so. I have him 18th, and it's, he's just more so at the end of the tier because – I have some guys that we didn't even talk about, you know, ranked higher um, that, you know, we'll get to next episode, but uh, Odell Beckham, Tyra Lockett, Cooper Cup, Calvin Ridley, Juju Smith-Schuster. These are all guys that I have in my top 15. A.J. Brown, I have 16. So it's like, am I really more excited to draft Adam Thielen in a low-volume offense going on 30 than any of those guys I just mentioned? No. Um, you know, am I – do I think Adam Thielen has a, a lot of upside? Yeah, I mean, he started – 2018, even in a, you know, somewhat low volume Viking offense, they always have a good defense. So they're never just throwing it around the yard, but um, you know, he, he started the year with eight straight 100 yard games. So he has a lot of upside, but compared to those other receivers who are just younger uh, and, and I think have higher, uh, you know, better offenses and, and just kind of higher overall uh, ceilings are just a little more to get excited about. Um, and, you know, I, I just think that's why I have Thielen 18th. It's not really – I'm not upset to get him, um, but he's just more so at the end of this kind of robust wide receiver one slash two tier where you could kind of jumble them around, and I don't think anyone would really argue with you about, you know, the, the order of these guys. He's just kind of on the lower end of guys I'm excited about, right in front of Robert Woods, another guy that I think Matt pointed out. Like, he when you project him out, he's up there, it's just – not quite as exciting. So 
um, that, that's kind of where I am with, with you. And I think the, 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 the offense and the target volume, it, it's just uh, combined with the age just creates a little bit more um, of a downside risk. Matt, I want to get your final thoughts on DJ Moore, uh, who I think is going roughly around where he should be. Um, obviously, the pro side of this is he was fantastically productive last year, very explosive. Uh, I think he's fairly well-rounded, and there could be some enthusiasm uh, about now he has Teddy Bridgewater uh, instead of the backup quarterbacks he played with last year. He has offensive coordinator Joe Brady, and he has head coach Matt Rule. Uh, in theory, all of that is a good thing. Uh, on the other side, he has a new offense, a new quarterback, a new play caller, and a new coach. So the things that could be good for him could also be very bad for him, especially in a weird offseason where uh, he doesn't have as much opportunity to, uh, to practice. And you add in Robbie Anderson, who I don't think is a major threat, but is someone who at least could uh, offer some competition for targets there. Where are you with DJ Moore? How do you see him fitting into this new offense? As Chris was talking, I, I started to kind of rethink, you know, had it, having Adam Thielen slightly ahead of DJ Moore just for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. But I also, I, like, I expect Carolina to throw the ball a lot this year, whether they want to or not. They're going to have such a train wreck of a defense. Their personnel is, is just is terrible on defense. So I think whether they want to or not, there's going to be a lot of volume in that offense. So these guys are both, you know, number one receivers that I probably I don't think are, you know, up there with like the Allen Robinsons or the DeAndre Hopkins of, of the world, like the true number one coverage dictating receivers. But they're, they're number ones on their own team. And then more is definitely in a more fantasy-friendly environment from a pure production standpoint. And when it comes to the player, DJ Moore was able to produce last year because 48.1% of his charted routes and reception perception were either a slant, a dig, or a screen. You know, those are layup routes for, bad, for a bad quarterback like Kyle Allen. And I also think they're going to be great routes for Teddy Bridgewater, another anticipatory short to intermediate passer. I think he's going to – the fit there is perfect. And Moore is not – like I said, I don't think he's one of the best – he's really not a very good separator across the route tree or getting off press coverage, but he got a lot better from year one to year two. And I also think – you know, throw that aside for a minute. He might already be one of the best, if not the best, after catch and contested catch receivers in the league. So there's so much really – to like from DJ Moore from a fantasy perspective, from a real life perspective, the strides he's made from year one to year two, he could make another jump in year three. And like I said, I think the supporting cast in Carolina is underrated. I'm still full on Curtis Samuel guy. And I think Robbie Anderson actually allows Curtis Samuel to do a lot less from a deep route perspective than he did last year in reception perception. The only guy who ran more nine routes than Curtis Samuel last year among sampled players was DK Metcalf. So I think Samuel is going to be used a lot more constructively this year than he was last year. And Anderson does just make the offense that much more, you know, dangerous and efficient from a deep ball perspective, from a clear out perspective. The more I'm talking about it, the more I'm hearing what Chris has to say. I think I probably need to be bumping DJ more up a little bit. All right, Matt, great stuff there. What do you have going on at Yahoo? Obviously, we're still doing the Yahoo Fantasy Football podcast. We just announced that we're going to be five days a week in the month of August and then into the regular season. Plenty of time for podcasting while we're all stuck at home. I'm also writing a series about the players and coaches who are going to tell the story of the 2020 season. Just put out one on Kevin Stefanski, how he's going to potentially help Baker Mayfield get fixed. And of course, in the meantime, uh, just you know, throwing out a lot of stuff with Reception Perception on Twitter. Use the hashtag Reception Perception and you'll be able to find all the stuff there and where you can purchase access to the data. Matt, it was fantastic having you on the show. Uh, everyone, 
Be sure to follow Matt on Twitter at MattHarman underscore BYB. On our next NFL episode, we'll be breaking down the rest of the fantasy wide receivers. You can follow Sean, Chris, and me in the Action Network app at the underscore oddsmaker, Chris Raybon, and Matt at the Oracle. Please subscribe to and rate and review the show and listen and download on Spotify. See you again next episode. We're finished talking.